a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And we read about these two things in Psalm 51 here tonight. And also a subdued will are pretty much rare things, not very common at all in the day in which we live. Because no matter where we go when we're turning on the television or reading newspapers or whatever, and we find that it's all about human rights and it's about human dignity and human sovereignty where man is the boss and everything else has to fall into line with his idea. And we've got a day of self-esteem, and that's what it's all about as far as many people are concerned. Build up your own self-esteem and confidence and tell yourself just how valuable you are and promote yourself. No matter who it involves you standing upon, climbing over, clambering over, just self-promote. That seems to be the united cry from every section of our society today. All men are demanding what they call their rights, and everybody is well-versed in the rights that they believe they have living in our world today. Essentially, we're back in the days of the judges, as it signs out at that time, and it tells us every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So many individual bosses, and they're all looking for the top position. And by nature, we know, began in the Garden of Eden, has continued ever since. Men by nature are extremely proud and selfish people. Now, preachers today have actually tuned in to this particular wavelength. And the no man's pride, and many of them have capitalized on this man's feelings in order to gain a bit of an audience and to cream off a bit of adulation as well. And what they have done is they have developed a rather flesh-pleasing theology of pride, where they're feeding man's ability, pumping him up, and telling him how wonderful and how good he is. Now, if you were to read the old books, and I would always recommend that you do go back and read some of the old literature, uh, don't be bypassing the Puritans thinking you can't read those men. You would need uh, a degree in old-time English to understand where they're coming from, where they're trying to go to not true. Start with Thomas Watson, and you'll find him to be very practical and very readable as well. And you'll find, and not even as far back as the Puritans, you'll find that our forefathers exalted the dignity, exalted the majesty, exalted the supremacy, not of man, but of the eternal God. They had the right focus. But the smooth-tongued prophets of deceit in our day have set themselves a task to butter up man, to make man feel good about himself, to exalt the dignity, the majesty, and the supremacy of man. They are traveling in the wrong direction entirely. And so it seems, tuning into some ministries today, it seems that religion in our age is dedicated not to the honor of God, but to the glory of man. Its purpose is to make man sit in the pew and feel really good about himself. And as a consequence, that's why we hear precious little about 
brokenness of heart, contrition of the soul, and the subduing of man's will. But the basic fact remains the reality of this brokenness. And when we get down to the nuts and bolts of real, true, spiritual living, what do we find? God's people, if they are His, they are in reality a broken people. All of God's true people are. And so in the Psalm 51, the verse 17 that we've read already tonight, we read, the sacrifices of God, here's what He's looking for us to bring to Him, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. And then over in the book of Isaiah, the chapter 66, the verse 2, the Lord is declaring, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but even though He is majestic, He is mighty, He has made all of these things, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. So what's He expecting among the ranks of His people? He's looking for poverty of spirit, contrite spirit, one who is trembling at God's Word. And you'll find whenever Stephen was being stoned to death, what did he do? He leaned upon what the prophet Isaiah had written, and he quoted Isaiah 66, the verse 1 and 2, over in Acts 7, verse 49 and 50. And what he was doing was, Stephen at that time was agreeing with Solomon and Isaiah about the greatness of God the Creator contrite. What does it mean? We're reading this word in the Psalms, and again in Isaiah, what does it mean? It means actually lamed or disabled, used here, of course, with spiritual significance. And Moitcherm, a preacher, has said, it's one who was aware of the damage wrought by sin and of personal inability to stand upright before God. That's what we need to recognize about ourselves. This is who we are. And the question, are we one of those who trembles at God's Word? Brokenness of heart, coming to Him, trembling at His Word. Spurgeon noted, they tremble at the searching power of God's Word. Then he asked, do you never come into this place and sit down in a pew and say, Lord, grant that Thy Word may search me and try me, that I may not be deceived. Certain people must always have sweets and comforts, but God's wise children do not wish for these in undue measure. Daily bread we ask for, not daily sugar." And that, though it's a quote that's over a hundred years old, is an excellent one from so reliable Mr. Spurgeon. I'm convinced God will have broken material with which to build His kingdom. Sooner or later, if we are coming to Him in our pride, He will break us down so that we will feel our nothingness in His presence. Because if we don't, 
We'll never experience His salvation, and if we don't, we will never be able to serve Him in the way that we should. There is no doubt but that no man has ever experienced God's grace in salvation until his heart is broken thoroughly before the holy God, until he has revealed himself to that man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and revealed to that man his own smallness in the sight of God. So we move from the first, the reality of this brokenness to the second point tonight, the reason for this brokenness, the reason why God's people should be and are a broken people. fact of the matter is this. If a man ever finds out who he is, and if he finds out, on the other hand, who God is, and if he finds out who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and what He has done for sinners, if a man ever really learns these things, he will be a broken man. He can't be anything else. When Job saw himself, and we're going to flag up a contrast here, and Job is sitting, and he's in the presence of those three miserable comforters, friends of his, couldn't be worse had they been his enemies, but he's vindicating himself. That's what he feels a need to do, vindicating himself in front of them and among them, and he even cursed the day in which he was living. And he said in Job 3 and verse 11, "'Why died I not from the womb?' Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? So he's feeling pretty confident when he's interchanging with his three friends and measuring himself up against them. But it all changes when he realizes, I am in the presence not only of mortal man, but I am in the presence of Almighty God. And I need to change the way I'm thinking and change the way I'm speaking, and he did. And then he begins to use the language of a broken man. Why? Because he saw himself in all of the hideousness of the sin, and he saw God in all of the holiness of His majesty. And that's why in Job 40, in verse 4, for example, we read Job saying, Behold, and he's not justifying himself anymore, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon mine mouth. I have heard of thee, Job 42, verse 5 and 6, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And all of a sudden, there is no egotism anymore. There is no pride anymore. There is no haughtiness anymore. There is no self-indication what he had engaged in anymore. Once Job had seen the Lord, he became a broken man, loathed himself, blamed himself, honored God, vindicated God's activity. You see, the truly broken heart will always vindicate God, no matter the cost. And so it was here. So we have, first of all, the reality of this brokenness. And then we thought of, secondly, there, the reason for this brokenness. And then thirdly and finally, the revelation of this brokenness, the revelation of this brokenness. This brokenness, how will it be produced within me? 
How will I have it in my own person? How can my stubbornly sinful heart be changed and be broken down before God? Only by a saving revelation of Jesus Christ in our hearts. In other words, what we're saying is, brokenness is found at the cross. The Lord Jesus declares that when He pours His Spirit upon the hearts of His people, that Spirit of grace and that Spirit of supplications, Zechariah 12 and verse 10, then they shall, when the Spirit is poured upon them, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Brokenness of heart. That's what Zechariah is talking about. How does it happen? when we get to the cross and see Christ. To us, broken things are worthless. We probably have quite a collection of them in the house, and we're just thinking, right, let's get them into the bin. When's the bin day next coming around? The black bin, and let's throw it all out and get rid of all that broken material. We throw it out. Anything we no longer need, we throw it away. But God can take that which is broken and remake it into something far better, something He can and will use for His own glory. And that's us getting on track, acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging the greatness of God, and rejoicing in the fact that He can take what is broken and completely and gloriously fix it. Now, the solution isn't going to come out of our own efforts. It won't come from our striving or our activity. It only comes from Him. Only when we recognize our need of Him are we able to take our eyes away from ourselves and focus on God and upon His Christ. Only when we admit our need and ask God to come and take the reins and do the work will He begin to make us whole? And so, in Isaiah 57 and 15, He uses the term, reviving us, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite, there's that word again, and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We sing Isaac Watts' great old hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Thus might I hide my blushing face, while His dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness, and melt mine eyes to tears. What was what saying? He was saying, if I want my heart to be affected, if I want my eyes to flow with tears, where do I go? I go to the place where His dear cross appears. There you and I will be broken, and nowhere else. Has your heart been broken by the knowledge of the Lord? Are you staying close to the cross? 
O Lord, evermore break our hearts before Thee, and may we make that our plea throughout 2023.